Attention! Welcome to the Film Mages Podcast, where the popcorn is our ammunition, the couch is our foxhole, and the cinema is our place of worship. Now let me see your war face! Hello, everybody. How's it going? How are you? I'm Zach. I'm Nick. I'm Alexis. And uh, yeah, we're the film majors. We're doing a podcast today. We are doing a podcast. We decided to change things up. Today? And we're going to do a podcast We're doing something time. different, yeah. and it's a podcast. We hope you're doing well. We well. hope, uh, you know, everyone's having a good time, having a good life. This is our last week of, yeah. of Romance Month of, of, of February. Yeah, we're going to be changing it up love. next month, doing something a little different. Yeah. Sad to see it go, but I love to watch it leave. Hey. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Sounded like John Travolta in Face Off. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Uh, no, I'm not. How is your cookie, Alexis? Uh, my cookie is really good. Uh, I was, you know what? Actually, the <laughs> the the guy who was selling it to me, um, I was like ordering my my latte. This is oh, this is convoluted. Yeah, I no, see he, what you're trying to do. No, no, no. And you're taking a long walk. No, I, I no, actually, no, 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 no. This is a real this, story. Okay, no, I, I want to hear the story. Let's see how long we can take before yeah. we do it today. No, this Let's guy just not straight, do it. I straight up was like, oh, hey, can I can I get like a, a blonde vanilla latte? Um, and he was like, oh, actually, we don't do those anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, because I'm so, I don't know. Am I gullible? Am I just trusting of other people? I don't know which one's worse. Um, but he was like, no, I'm just fucking with you. And I was like, oh, okay. I've only been awake for like an hour, so <laughs> go easy on me, please. And then I ordered the cookie. And then, I don't know, this man was just like fucking playing with me. And I was just like, what's going on? I knew you were doing it. I knew you were fucking doing it. I, did, I actually I didn't see it coming. I knew it from the moment Damn you started it. that. Oh, that was, you know wow. what? You, pa- you baffled one of us. Yeah, no, I... I, oh. I had to commit to the bit. I knew you it. Commit I, to the bit. Knew, I saw it in your sneaky, devilish <laughs> wow. eyes. Well, I, I really did actually want to tell the story because I was like, dude, why are you fucking yeah, with see, me that's before what, I have my fucking coffee at 2, that's what two 3 p.m.? Yeah, wow. I was well going to ask you what time you got up, but you just offered that freely, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. At 1 p.m., that's because after I left the apartment last night, I went home and I ended up throwing sex lies and videotape back on after I watched some more of the special features. Wow. And then I fell asleep. I was really sleepy, fell asleep kind of towards like the first third, woke up again at four in the morning, finished the movie. Oh, no. And then went back to bed and didn't wow. wake up until 1 p.m. I was oh up at God. seven today because I had work. Yeah, I think I fell asleep at like 6.30. You so. woke me up, so I was up. Oh, <laughs> sorry, pal. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, shocking. I think I got like a total of like ten hours of sleep at that hey, point. Hey, wow. well done. You wear it well. That's fantastic. I, I get a lot of ten hours of sleep being unemployed. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what keeps me so young and fresh looking. Yeah. The blood of virgins, ten hours of sleep. You know, cookies. Un- unemployment. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that'll do it. That will do it. Especially that. the blood of virgins. Honestly. <laughs> you never feel Which, by the way, where do you than... get your blood for for virgins? Yeah, let's get into Who's that. Who's your blood gang? Because I, I got a guy. It's he's me. A, no, he, well, no, no, it's not you. My, my guy's a virgin. I just I just cipher him. Uh, yeah, that's not me. I have six, I have like I have a, his name's Gordon. Time. I have like a biannual visit to the nunnery. Yeah. The, the nunnery? <laughs> that's such a fun word. Yeah. Crispin went to the nunnery. Get thee to the nunnery. What is it with you and Crispin? I like a good Crispin. <laughs> a cupboard with crockery in it at the nunnery. Crispin, get in here. <laughs> Uh, so what's going on, 
guys. Have you seen any movies lately? Yeah, well, we sure have. We sure have. I saw a really great film called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Well, we're going to save that. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're but jumping st- the gun. I stand by it, though. Great film. Uh, no, I went to um, I went to a, a wonderful triple feature at the New Beverly. Oh, you sure I watched, did. Where I watched all three Blade movies, uh, which is about a six and a half hour <laughs> endeavor. Um, the fi- we finally got out. I think it was one thirty in the morning. Good um, I'm so jealous. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, uh, Blade Trinity and the second Blade I had never seen before. The first one I had seen, um, and seeing it with a crowd was the way to see it. It was fantastic. It felt like a grindhouse film. The first movie, even with the grindhouse quality, because you know you're seeing it on a film, you get that little speckles and the cigarette burn in the top corner. It reminded me of a of a John Carpenter film. There are vibes with the music and the aesthetics of it. It was like, what if John Carpenter had done a Blade film? That's kind of what the first one feels like. That would be so cool. It and, would be better, to yeah, be fair. But mm. yeah, no, Blade Trinity is... Not that um, I don't love Blade. I enjoyed Blade Trinity, seeing it with a bunch of other people, uh, but half the audience did get up and leave between the second Blade and third Blade. <laughs> and you know what's interesting is so often Wesley Snipes in Trinity is just angry that Ryan Reynolds is in the movie. <laughs> And I think that didn't bother me as much because I'm with Wesley Snipes. Yeah, you're also every, angry every that time Ryan Reynolds, Re- is Ryan Reynolds talks or is present in that movie. It bothers me. But here's the thing: he is capable of being a good actor. I agree. He he is a good actor. We just don't see it from him because he's always doing his Ryan Ryan Reynolds shtick, and I'm kind of sick of it. Yeah, he's. If you want to watch some Ryan Reynolds movies where he's giving a different flavor than uh, Deadpool, but without a mask. Yeah. Um, check out the voices. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, the voices is really yeah. fun. I've never seen that. Uh, it's of course you, you should check it out. Why? Because it's <laughs> about you, it, you. I think it would. Be... What does that mean? You'll see. We'll watch it later. Wait, I got you know what? No, come on. We'll watch it later. It'll be funnier when you watch the it. The voices? Yeah. I'm looking that up now. Okay. Uh, and the other one's Buried. He's he's quite good in Buried. Oh, I've, I've never, never seen, seen that. Buried, oh, there was, what was that one he did I... with Denzel Washington called Safe House? Have you seen that? It was called Safe House, I think. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. It was but okay, but he I... was good. Sorry, Alexis. What were you saying? I love Ryan Reynolds. Oh. Yeah. Will we ever heal this broken nation? I don't know, you know, but I sure did love Free Guy, even though it's like a pretty fucking mid movie. That's not a good movie. That's a great movie. Don't have a good day. Have Have a a great great day. day. I I have to admit, (laughs) I'm sorry, Zach, but Alexis did show me Free Guy and I kind of had a good time. It's kind of fun. I don't want to watch it, I'm going to be honest. No, I I didn't either. I, you know, but it it was okay. I make people do things they don't want to do and then they end up liking it, so. That's my entire experience with you, (laughs) to be honest. Isolate that on you. Um... What? One movie that we all watched together was uh, Wong Kar Wai's Happy Together. Oh, nice. Yes. Which I, I had never seen a Wong Kar Wai film, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Really beautiful movie. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, very funny dynamic between uh, Tony... L- I'm going to fucking butcher his name, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Tony Lung Chu Wai and Leslie Chung. Uh, they're the two guys who are the leads in the film, and they have mm-hmm. a... Really fun, funny dynamic. Uh, Mick just figured out what the voice is I've seen about. the voices where he plays a serial killer, right? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I watched that with my ex's family, and we turned it off halfway through because everyone was just bummed out from it. It is, it is a little bummy. I never bummy. finished it. I love movie. it, though. I, think it, I thought, I thought it was like one of my favorites. I'm not a serial killer. 
Can't like, you tell with how high my voice goes? The that upper was register? a joke that t- whose punchline took five minutes to land, and <laughs> oh, it was worth yeah. every second. <laughs> if uh, you're listening, I'm not a serial killer. Yeah, at no. least not that we Do can not prove. isolate that audio. That's not true. <laughs> it's good. Uh, the good thing you can't see me winking right now. Right? <laughs> I liked Happy Together, guys. And I want to talk about it a little. You know what? Uh, happy I, together. So me and Mick have have both seen uh, one Wong Kar Wai film each, uh, separate different movies. I've seen Chungking Express. He's seen 2046. 2046, yeah. Yeah. Um, I personally think that I might like Chungking Express a little better, but I think that uh, Happy Together is much more beautiful. I think I prefer Happy Together over 2046. Mm. Just I, because I find their relationship to be... This is a problem. Strangely enticing. <laughs> Just like the most the most toxic, toxic I know. relationship. Oh, like, fun. You know what was so interesting? It was I was like at the very beginning, like I really thought, like, oh, I'm not sure if they're gonna like this. And then as it went on, and how much you guys like were digging the toxic dynamic, I was like, no, you know what? This tracks. I, I know these boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, no, great film, super beautiful. Glad we watched it. Yeah, the cinematography was just gorgeous. He's so just great. so he does such interesting things with the camera. Like he is not afraid of Dutch angles. That's for sure. No, and he's angles. not afraid of green. Yeah, not afraid of green. He's. I mean, I think they had a camera strapped to the front of um a like a train or something at one point. Yes, at the and very that, end. Yeah, that was gorgeous. Um, there's like this the shot of the falls where you're kind of like spinning like counter like clockwise or counterclockwise. It looks cosmic. It, it does. reminds me of like yeah. when you're looking at a close up shot of like Jupiter or something. Yeah. Because of the f- gas and everything. Yeah, because I was like I was like at first I was like, what is this? Interestingly enough, the reason why uh I not particularly like specifically chose this this movie's been on my watch list for a few weeks now. Um but I went to go see this movie of an age with mm. um, your roommate and <laughs> say his <Who>? name. <laughs> he, he said he actually doesn't like us to say his name on oh, the podcast. Okay. Oh, so really? I was, like, I was like, I was like, you know what? Our roommate, Buck Chumley. Uh, Buck Chumley. No, no, no. Our roommate, Jensen Ackles. <laughs> Pen Badgley. Badgley. I like Pen Badgley. <laughs> it's a fa- the fa- one of the fakest names in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we went to go see Of an Age, and in the movie, uh, this connection between these uh, two guys that happens between, like, a 24-hour period, the very beginning, uh, it's obviously, like, the late 90s, so in the car, it's not even CDs, it's still, like, they're still running tapes in his car, and one of them is this really beautiful score, and he says, oh, where's this from? He says, oh, this movie, Happy Together because he's going to go study like oh, linguistics wow. or something in South America. And so he was like, oh yeah, I really like this movie because they are in Argentina or something. And yep. I remember thinking to myself, oh, I know a movie Happy Together that's also a queer movie. But I, in my mind, I was like, oh, it's a Chinese movie. So like, that can't be right. And then I was like, oh shit, no. They it's go about, to, yeah, they it's go about two Chinese guys in, in Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. Or three so, Chinese guys in Argentina. Yeah. Really. Um, and so, yeah, I, so... That was one of the things that I was like, hey, uh, Ruby, <laughs> uh, what do you want to watch tonight? And it was between that and a, <clears throat> a other British queer movie. 
Nice. So, cool. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to watch that. I've been meaning to see it. I'm going to do that this the week. The score is so good. And fucking Frank Zappa has a, they have a song from Frank Zappa in there. And it's just like so um, fucking sexy. Oh my God. No. In uh, Happy Together. In Happy oh, okay. Together. Yeah, yeah, it's that like crazy guitar riff. I was listening to that yeah. on the way to the gym today. Yeah, it's fucking It was awesome. a weird vibe. <laughs> yeah, that does exactly. I was squatting in a really weird rhythmic <laughs> motion. <laughs> I hate how vividly I can see that. I, uh, I can tell Alexis looks grossed out right now. I'm feeling my cookie in my esophagus. Squat rhythmically for me, my boy. God, uh, and I, those are several of the grossest things we've said in succession yeah, on this I, podcast. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. Um, something else. Uh, well, we saw with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sagey Boy. We saw <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's pretty we, good. We saw it on the big screen. We had all seen it before. Yes, he hadn't. But uh, no, uh, yeah, Sage had. Sage had uh, not. But it was fun seeing that on the big screen for the first time. Yeah, funnily enough, I did actually have tickets to go to that showing, and then I didn't end up going to it. I went to the gay club with your roommate. <laughs> yep, the gay club. Uh, yeah, no, they were leaving right as we got back from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. which is good. But if you're looking for like solid kung fu movie vibes. Yeah. Crouching Tiger is very much a kung fu movie directed by a guy who makes dramas. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's a little slower. It's much more about its central romance. Yeah. Uh, and when we got back, we were like, it's time to watch The Legend of Drunken Master. Goddamn right. And uh, fortunately enough, we, right when we showed up, Alexis and our roommate were doing shots. Oh, great. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I remember that. Uh, yeah. yeah, God, that is such a good movie. We we should have an episode dedicated to that movie. Someday. I love it so much. Have you seen we, it yet? Have I shown that to you yet? I think uh, I have. I haven't seen either of those movies. You've talked about them multiple times, but... I uh, think I've been trying to get I, you to watch that since Arcada. Yeah, I think you have. Uh... I I think it's just that like action is not my first choice of movies. I have like I don't know like a hundred fucking DVDs. I can probably count on like maybe like two hands the amount of like action movies that I actually own. Wow. Yeah. That's we sad. like the kicking and punching. We like yeah, we like action and, movies here. Yeah, yeah. That's... yeah, there wasn't enough kicking and punching in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. There's but, some there's yeah. some good kicking and punching. There's great kicking and punching. There's yeah. a wonderful fight scene with Michelle Yeoh. I'm all yes. about the words and the longing, so That's, you know the kitchen, kicking and punching. Just it's not, it's not hitting me where what's it, it your, counts. What yeah. is your? I'm <laughs> always longing for kicking and punching. What's your favorite <laughs> part of Speed? It's my favorite part of Speed. Yeah. Um, if you answer what I think you're going to answer, it's number. Really? There's two things. There's two things. It is obviously the dynamic between Sandra Bullock and go. Keanu Reeves, but also for. just the. So two different types of tension, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the tension between them, yeah. and then you have the tension of... Is uh, the bus going to explode? Is the bus going to explode? But like specifically the part where he is under the bus on oh, the little ramp thing. That is one of my favorite sections oh, of the so movie. Cool. <clears throat> oh, that's so cool. That is a great answer. What a picture. Great answers, plural. Thank you. Um, something else I saw uh, was, uh, you know what? I wanted to kind of keep the, the, the ball rolling after seeing the Philadelphia story, so I watched Bringing Up Baby. A movie that Catherine so Hepburn jealous. and James Stewart did two years before the Philadelphia mm -hmm. story. I prefer bringing up baby over okay. the Philadelphia story. And that's simply because it's so unapologetically ludicrous and yeah. slapstick that I, I just wasn't ready for it. Because also, go ahead. 
Oh no, that's the movie that defined the genre of oh, screwball screw comedy. comedy. Oh, that's yes. what started. And, yeah, that's the oh. one. That's that is the one that defined it. And uh, obviously, uh, it, it didn't get the accolades that it should have probably gotten oh, when yeah. it first came out. Um, and it wasn't until Philadelphia Story that Cary Grant and Catherine yeah. uh, Hepburn is like, "Oh my God, it's so good, it's so funny," blah blah blah. You well, know? I think part of why I really liked it is because after you know, I, I've always said I'm a big fan of Cary Grant, and then watching the Philadelphia story, I was kind of introduced to the idea that, you know what, maybe Cary Grant, you know, he's just so handsome and he's a good actor, but he's not a great character actor the way James Stewart is. Then I watched Bringing Up Baby, where Cary Grant plays a bungler. Where, Wait, oh, is it Cary Grant in Bringing Up Baby? Yes. Oh, I thought you said Jamie Stewart earlier. Oh, if no, I, no. You said Cary Grant. Cary oh, Grant okay. and Catherine Uh He plays such a foolish character he plays a paleontologist and he's so funny he's so over the top he's so not confident um it was just so fun seeing him play that again him and Catherine Hepburn seemed like two screen partners on a night of improv and it was just so good I, I recommend anybody watch Bringing Up Baby if you're in a mood for really great comedy I uh I myself also watched a bit of an older film uh not quite as old as Bringing Up Baby but I watched uh, Carnival of Souls which is a independent horror film from the 1960s, uh, directed by Herc Harvey. Uh, it's really beautiful. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's, I think, in a modern context, particularly, you can kind of see where it's going. Yeah. Um, the reveal at the end of the film is not really surprising nowadays, but yeah. it makes up you, for yeah, it you, by yeah. being very creepy, having a lot of unsettling imagery, and... Yeah kind of unconventional editing techniques. There's a lot of speed ramping that I found really kind of affecting and unnerving. So Yeah. We both watched that a couple months ago. I yeah, I had forgotten until just now. Oh, okay. I just remember as you were describing yeah. it, I remembered the ending. I, I don't was like, think, oh that's right. I don't know that you really loved it. I didn't. Yeah. No. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very beautiful movie. Yeah, I think I liked it. And I, I like the lead actress who's... That was going to be my uh, thing. I was like, yeah. she was really pretty. Candace Hillegas. She was so cute. And, and I think she sells her predicament really well. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's like definitely sure. just like, what the fuck is going on? I, I, I had lunch with somebody who is a really big listener of our show. Oh, wonderful. And they said that by far and away, their favorite bit that we've done so far is when we would say, what's going on? And every time in the barbarian episode, in the barbarian oh episode God, yeah, go that. back check it out they said they said that was fantastic so we should really bring that back what's going uh, on well you, know, we'll, you we'll can't do it too much yeah. or we'll, we'll wear it out that's know? true we'll hit we'll hit you with it when you don't expect it yeah exactly um, uh, i have one other one that i watched oh yeah it was a uh 2008 film called martyrs oh okay uh, which is part of the new french extremity movement uh which is a bunch of French movies that deal with uh, taboo or heavy subject matter in incredibly explicit ways. Martyrs feels kind of like a French commentary on the American wave of torture porn Hmm. because it is, like, incredibly graphic, incredibly brutal, but it's a movie about suffering Mm-hmm. Like about the concept of suffering and why humans suffer and what it offers us, um, hmm. and it's also just like a fucking gnarly horror movie. Uh, 
So I, I really enjoyed it. My only real complaint is it has that kind of early 2000s digital cinematography thing going on mm. that can be kind of, in my opinion, ugly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, really enjoyed Martyrs. Uh, you kind of have to be in the right mindset to watch it because it sounds like that type of movie. Um, it's like really violent. A violent horror film. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, Maybe I'm a fucked up guy, but I had some fun with it. Yes. Big LOL. Yeah. Okay, so that's a yes then. You have to be in the right mindset. (laughs) There's a specific plot element that I'm not going to tell you guys what it is. Don't. Yeah. But it appealed to me very much. Is it cannibalism? No. Oh. It's the other one. (laughs) Oh. Hmm. What'd you say? It's the other one. It's the other one? That I like. I don't know what Mm. that is. Yeah. Oh, oh, is Mia Goth in it? No. It's okay. You'll figure it out when you see it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's see here. <clears throat> I did uh, kind. I, I I mostly watched this movie. Like I watched it from beginning to end, but I actually like kind of like fast forwarded through like parts of it. Oh, this will be interesting. Um, it? It's called Rosalind. Um, so it was just like it's like a Hulu movie that oh, was like I saw like trailers that, for that. It's like a modern take on like because you know like Romeo and Juliet, blah blah blah. He I was know, also into her. her cousin Rosalind before, and then he was like, "Nah, I'm super in love with Juliet now." Um, and so it, instead, the movie tells the story of like Rosalind who got basically like dumped by Romeo. You know? I, when, when does it take place? Is it contemporary? No, it takes place back then, but it's definitely oh, but like it's with contemporary language. It's with contemporary I saw trailers language. for this and it, it upset me. It's, it's kind of, it's is a little it mid, but it's fun. Why, you know? why like, would you cut I really the period like... language out of Shakespeare? That's what Shakespeare is. That's okay, what makes but, it cool. But there's a difference yeah, between but... doing like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet where it's like that feels contemporary. Yeah. The way that they speak. Um, it, it is really hard to do Shakespeare Such language and actually make it feel modern and contemporary. So I actually don't mind if they like do it a different way. I don't mind it. You know, I don't mind the idea of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of Shakespeare characters talking like TikTok influencers. It bothers me. Uh, I watched the trailer. It pissed me off. Okay. It upset me. I well, that's fine. You know, it was cute. It was it was kind of like at, at some point, and literally like Paris, the one who ends up like getting engaged to Juliet, uh, is like Rosalind's like gay best friend in the movie. And like, I kind of loved I it. Those. I don't know. Like, it, it was fun enough, you know, and... Uh, whatever her romantic lead was um he was like even paris said like i don't know rosalind do you really think you're in love with romeo and that like you really need to like get him back from juliet or is it just the fact that you guys were like sneaking around that's making it like more enjoyable you know and she's like first of all shut the fuck up don't care (laughs) that's a quote by the way folks that's the line continue and uh she goes and like essentially ends up causing like all the bullshit that like goes on between like romeo and juliet in the first place you know interesting um but you know and then at the very end my favorite thing was do do you want me to not reveal the ending i mean we all know how technically it ends but like I low-key kind of want to watch Ross. Okay, <laughs> then I won't spoil it. I won't spoil okay, it. Okay, I'm well, sorry for being a hater. Well, no, I got a, I got a strange take. I think my favorite Shakespeare adaptations actually don't use the original language, which is um, uh, uh, Throne of Blood and Ron. Both uh, Akira Kurosawa's versions, they kind of... Uh, they kind of paraphrase the original text, but they kind of make it their own too. And they're both by far my favorite adaptations. Of well, it. Minnie Driver is in this as Rosalind's nurse. What? So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm definitely watching it. I prefer a big driver. 
Okay. <laughs> Micro driver. All right, all right, Dad. That's okay. a big fucking okay. driver. What the fuck is going on here, guys? Uh, I actually decided to. I was just in the mood of watching some really sophisticated, highbrow art films. Yeah. So I did a double feature of Shocking. Dante's Peak and Volcano. Um, and I gotta say, folks, yeah. I had a good time. Uh, really quickly, uh, Dante's Peak, starring Pierce Brosnan and um, Linda Hamilton, was, you know, a movie. Things happened. And I really miss the 90s character trope of um, sexy scientists uh, because they're so sexy and scientific. In way the way they conduct that. themselves. And Stop touching each other. I'm not. She <laughs> um, touched my armpit, okay? That's because you're covering up the mic with your... Uh, never mind. Um, Stop playing footsie. I'm no, not. No, no, actually, anyways, I take it back. Keep doing it. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Sorry, folks. Uh, Dante's Peak, we need more sexy scientists. You get it in Jurassic Park. You get it in contact with Jodie Foster. You get it in... And, excuse me, well, he's not a scientist. Never mind. Great. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Yeah, I and, had to think about the plot of contact for a second. And then, and then, the, uh, and then you have... Uh, were you going to say Matthew McConaughey? Yeah. Fuck he's you. Like he's a religious zealot. God damn it. And then um, uh, <laughs> Twister, too, with Bill Paxton and uh, Helen Hunt. Hubba bubba. Uh, but yeah, great film. No, it's not. Dante's Peak is an average film. And then, <laughs> finally, Volcano, which it stars Tommy Lee Jones, which is strange. I have to say... I love that. I loved it in 1997. Yeah. The idea of your big summer blockbuster was, uh, who's our, who's like our, our big, you know, hero lead? Who's someone who's going to appeal to all ages? There's only one answer. Tommy Lee yeah. Jones. As, as I described, uh, Dante's Peak is Pierce Brosnan in a volcano movie. Volcano is a volcano in a Tommy Lee Jones movie. And there's a difference. If you know what it, in other words, it, watch Fugitive and then watch Volcano, and it all just makes sense. <laughs> wow. This volcano's, volcano's name, name is, is Dr. Richard Kimball. There's literally a scene where, uh, anyways, whatever. <laughs> I Clearly, I really love my Volcano double feature. Volca I watched Volcano with Mick, and it, it does kind of rule. It's pretty fun. Keith David's in it. Yeah, oh my God, Keith David. Which I loved when he showed up, because I was like, wow, we have I the know. grumpiest white man yeah. and the grumpiest black man on the case. It's fit, like, have. literally, yeah, the most gruff men you can think of, <laughs> and they cast them together. It's beautiful. We need two grizzled men of different races there's, on this. There's multiple scenes of Keith David as a cop and uh, and Tommy Lee Jones as like the head of disaster relief he's, for yeah, Los he's Angeles. Like public works guy. Both barking at other people, but they're talking over each other. It's just men barking. I like a man that barks. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I literally just blacked out for like a whole minute. But then like, I think I did too. Actually. But then like I, I came back in right at you said, I like men who bark and I'm confused, but aroused. That's how I felt watching Volcano. Yep. And I feel like that just about sums it up. I think that about sums it up. Does anybody have any other movies they want to talk about? Yeah. So I totally forgot to mention that <laughs> when I was hanging, when I was hanging out with my friend Allison, that uh, we She'd never seen any of the Magic Mike movies, and I kind of wanted to see the new one because I also love highbrow <laughs> cinema. Cinema. Um, you, you get it. We're, this is not a podcast of Philistines, folks. No. This, you highbrow. Gotta, you, want, you want a podcast for the common man? Go to all the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> We're intellectuals here. Yeah. 
I, Word this actually up. ties into the film we're talking about today. So please tell me your thoughts on Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, to begin with, I have seen the original Magic Mike before because I have you know straight sisters, and you know that's just a straight <laughs> woman kind of thing. <laughs> but I do admit Matthew McConaughey is fucking incredible the, the as I think it's says, Tex, right? Um, God, I hope so. The law says you cannot touch. Everything's bigger in Texas. Well, I think I see a lot of law. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 interestingly enough, this is uh, this and the last movie were both directed by the same person. I won't say it yet. Um <laughs> <laughs> my, mind is, my mind is yeah it is, is very interesting um what a filmmaker right uh but yeah no I, definitely i would say that the best movie of all of them i think is the second movie magic mike double xl because instead of like having this like i don't know like more serious kind of plot line double xl is just basically like a boy's road trip movie and i think that the simplicity of that really plays well with the dynamic between them that's really as someone who's currently in the process of writing his third boy's road trip movie yeah you You should have you seen it has my money no but i haven't seen it i need to watch all three of them now. I haven't yeah, seen I would definitely them. say like, you know, watch the first one for Matthew McConaughey, watch the second one for uh the boys. Just boys boys. Yeah, um and, like literally like Childish Gambino's like randomly in fucking Double XL. And so is actually Andy McDowell. So she's in Double XL. Really? Yeah, she is. She's she's got a part. Isn't there a comedian in that movie too? Uh The big guy. The big guy? Yeah. The guy who plays Huel? Maybe no, 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 no. When you say comedian, big guy, that's the biggest comedian I can think of. If you're listening to this, you probably know who I mean. So I saw Magic Mike's Last Dance on Valentine's Day. Uh, Me and your roommate, we tried to go see uh, the are definitely the the better movie of an age, but there weren't uh, any tickets left. So we were like, well, what could we see instead? Um, And we ended up seeing Magic Mike. Wanna be like Mike. (laughs) Last last dance. Um, My takeaway is that uh, Selma Hayek will be a fucking gorgeous woman for the rest of her life. And I'm not even judging the fact that fucking... Tarantino sucked on her toes in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Hey, uh, how's it going, everybody? This is uh, Quentin just uh, weighing in. Folks. The, see, the, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to interrupt the podcast. Oh, no. There's one thing that I want what to talk about, about seeing that scene in, in Robert Rodriguez's brilliant film From Dust Till Dawn. Now, see, when I was shooting that thing, the, the, the thing that really jumped out at me in that scene was that there were so many feet of fuck, 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 feet, fuck, fi- so we were making a film of feet, fuck, fuck, uh, a feet, film, 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 feet, ah, fucking, I gotta go, guys. I'm the creative director of this episode, yeah. and you will be so lucky if that makes it in. That was uh, weird. Uh, well, why wouldn't we Quentin feature Tarantino a clip from director extraordinaire Quentin Tarantino? Fuck that Commenting guy. on what you were bringing up, I mean, he's providing an inside perspective to you. I don't know. That uh, just feels disrespectful. I, I just feel like it's uh. disrespectful to fucking interrupt me when I just told him that it was okay that he fucking sucked on a toe. Well, he's a now breast. leave me the fuck alone, Tarantono. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I guess. Um, Sorry, folks, I just couldn't jump back in. That's uh, a pretty good. Folks, one. you've heard it here first. Tarantono. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, he just How have we never had that before? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, seriously. Him sucking on Salma Hayek's toe, that is manifesting, folks. That is how you wow. follow your dreams. Wow. That's a that's the best vision board I can think of. <laughs> okay, great, yeah. 
So uh, main takeaway other than that, let's let's break off from that. Um, too many emotions, uh, too much clothes. Uh, yeah. But I do actually think that it is the thing that makes the most sense for like the the characters like Matt, like Mike, Mike <laughs> for his journey is to go from, you know, originally being like a male entertainer in the first movie and then, uh, you know, doing what he did at the end of the first movie, moving into the second and kind of having to come back to the boys and kind of like re regain himself. And then in the next movie to like end up moving on like artistically in this way. So I think that they actually, it makes sense. They're respecting from, like, Mike as an artist. They're respecting him as an artist. Like they're respecting that. him as right. a character you know i, wouldn't I don't expect think any less from soderbergh yeah, yeah i don't think that the movie is really very good because it is a uh, it it kind of slogs a little bit i i mean for me the best parts are always the dancing parts you know so that's kind of why i want to see it. they really did there was is some at the beginning there was a lot at the end and in the middle there was a lot of emotion and i'm just like kind of don't care but all right <laughs> that's are, how i felt about my play. buddy valentine that's the same thing like characters <laughs> talk about their thoughts and feelings and some kind of plot waste of time just get back to the dancing and the killing or whatever <laughs> like that's why i'm here wonderful um that was great i think we should probably hop out of what's going on This was a fun episode. That's great. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. We're only like a third of the way through. We're moving on to our grand topic, right? Our beige topic. Our beige topic. Um, which is, let's see here. What did I even, I don't even remember what I put in the. Are you serious? No, I do. I Are do. you serious? No, I do. I remember. It's actually a really good topic. I great like examples At of first, I was like, uh, non-sexual intimacy. Yeah, non-sexual intimacy in films. Uh, uh, we know that Hollywood does love their sex scenes. I already reject that. What? Yeah, I'm Hollywood has you. become so sexless now. Yeah. I, 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 I agree that in the past, Hollywood has yeah. enjoyed a sex scene, but I think it is legitimately a problem how everyone is... There's literally an article that I've read called Everyone is Beautiful, No One is Fucking. Yeah. I, it's... That's that's I, just my one piece. I have to say, I kind of really agree. I think we, I, you, you watch movies from the seventies and eighties, and there would be the sex scene, you yeah. know. And it, it's not, you know, you don't need it, but I do kind of agree that we don't get them as much anymore, which is too bad because it's nice, you know. We get so much violence; it's a shame we don't get to see, you know, two consenting adults making love. I mean, why is that such a big fucking okay, deal? Okay, but like half the time, they're not really like making love. It's just like some fucking contrived because fucking plot line. The male that... gaze ruins it too. Uh, no, I, that's, I think it does. That's, I think that's absolutely true, but I, I don't know. I just, I do think it's legitimately a problem that I feel like the only media people really get exposed to sex with now is, is porn. Mm. I but don't think that's that, true I because think, uh, as somebody who watches like a lot of queer cinema, I think that there is. Like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm talking more in terms of like mainstream Hollywood cinema. The okay. sex has basically disappeared from that. And right. I, th I do really? think that's a problem. I don't find it a problem, I guess. I, but, uh, I think yeah. that it has led to like weird puritanical attitudes around sex. I think, but maybe it's the fact that like there's so much sex on TV. There is. Yeah, I mean, it's because fuck. also it's like, like HBO, Game of Thrones, yeah. I mean, that shit's just porn with this with a you know. Big yeah, story. but like a lot of those TV shows, especially like HBO and stuff and Showtime, whatever, they're all very cinematic, and a lot of them are very very sex heavy, and uh, and uh, and also like very like violently sex heavy. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that the first season of Game of Thrones did not have an intimacy coordinator on set. Oy, Strangely that's enough, not good. yeah, yikes. Uh, but regardless, I will say that your topic, Alexis, I actually like because it's challenging. I, I like the topic. I had to really too. think I, about it. Yeah, I, I more t- take issue to the to the pitch rather than the topic. Yeah. Hey, can you just yeah. read your text actually, or part of the text you sent because oh, you, sure, you sure, summarized sure. it so yeah, well? Yeah, it was the most okay. eloquent. Just so that our listeners has ever summed up their. Just big so our topic. listeners really said, understand what this is. Okay, I said for this week's topic, I want to do favorite films that demonstrate the lack of sex slash voyeurism in film that does not equate to an improper portrayal of intimacy like we know hollywood loves a good sex scene but they're sometimes so dramatic and portray sex in this unreal light so what is a movie that makes you feel like the characters are intimately connected without showing them fucking it necessarily it's so tough i mean really if i may you're boiling it down to what is a movie where people fuck with their eyes right (laughs) that's not necessarily what i'm uh, saying necessarily i mean it's whatever so what does intimacy mean to you will kind of color what your uh, choice in movie is going to be, yeah. you know? No, for and sure. And that's going to be different for all of us. Yeah. Quentin would, he'd probably say something about feet, but he's not here anymore. Great. Um, I, literally, <laughs> uh, I felt like it was kind of fortuitous that we went to go see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Yeah, because that's a great example. Okay. Yeah, because there, there is a sex scene in that between uh, the two younger characters. I call the him the sexy one. desert bandit. Yes. He's so uh, hot, low. by the way. Yeah, oh my God, what a <sighs> stone cold fox. Um, but, uh, <laughs> my idea of intimacy? Railing in the desert. <laughs> oh God. Sorry. Go um, but no, Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun-Fat have just like this intense yearning for one another and they can't be with one another yeah, because of uh Michelle Yeoh was with uh Chow Yun Fat's brother, I believe, and he died. Right, yeah. Um but and that at the end of the movie the hand is great. At the end of the movie Chow Yun Fat dies, spoilers. Um I guess what? after he yeah. yeah. I didn't know that and I saw the movie. What do you mean? He gets poisoned. Oh, that's right. I've seen it a few times. That's right. Yeah, fuck you. Uh, But as he's dying, uh, she tells, Michelle Yeoh tells him to meditate so that he can, you know, be at peace. And he says that he would rather be a ghost by her side uh, for the rest of his days than spend eternity in heaven without her. And I was like, that is romantic and intimate and they just share yeah. a look and a kiss right before he dies and it fucking is very moving yeah so that's that's my pick okay i think actually now that i'm really because i've spent quite a minute thinking about this ruminating ruminating nice yes gesticulating you got a whole list <laughs> masticating masticating maybe no masticating no please stop no <laughs> that's what i do when i think that is so... Can somebody else go now? Because I feel like talking about what movie I was going to talk about... No, 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 do it, do it, do it. Do it. Okay, all Very right. Very sorry. <laughs> so, uh, in Women Talking... <laughs> Bad segue. <laughs> That's what I said. I said you should have you gone great after film. the fucking great film. Great shit. film. Jesus I have a story Christ. about women talking. Is it going to interrupt a woman talking? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, let me fucking finish that. <laughs> That was great. I loved that. <laughs> Sorry. That was great. Sorry, go ahead. Great. Um, okay, so Ben Wishaw and Rooney Mara's characters, Ona, and um, what is his name? 
I can't remember what his name is. Oh, August. August his name yeah, is August. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I love this part where they're like, so this man has clearly, he's been in love with her like his whole life. And um, she is now pregnant through not personal choice or anything. Um, and he like tells her that if you stayed, I would, or even if you left, like, I would help you, like, raise your child. Like, I would, like, basically, like, ask nothing of you, but, like, I, like, kind of, like, saying, like, I want to, like, be with you. And she tells him that um, if I were married, I wouldn't be the woman that, like, you love anymore. And by the end of the movie, obviously, he lets lets her go, but he does tell her, like, oh, I love you, you know? And then her mother is just, like, you know, because she they like walk away, and she says she loves you too, August. She loves everyone, you know. <laughs> it's, just, it's so yeah. sad, but also like yeah. when they're on the roof together, and like he's teaching her like um, to sh- like navigate, how, navigate by, the by the stars, celestial navigation. Yeah, and um, she lets him like teach her, and then he's like, "Did you already know that?" And she's like, "Yeah, I already knew that's that." So sweet. But but so you know, cute. she lets him because like she knows that that's you know he's a teacher. He, yeah. he it makes him feel good, you know. And uh, she's, she's the being one generous. Who, then in that moment, I think it's not that she just. It's not just that she's like being generous. She clearly loves him you know maybe not in the way that like he specifically like would love for her to love him but she Mm. does love him and she clearly is that's her way of like showing him affection you know Mm. and another thing is that like there's such intimacy between them because she is very much like a part of who his mother kind of was because she spent so much time with his mother and that is somebody that like he deeply loved so it's like he I feel like knows her on this really like in like very intimate level, you know, like they understand each other. He, she's the person that she, she asked him to take the minutes of the meeting, you know, because she knows that he's probably the only man that they can like trust in this community. And so I just, just the idea that there is this trust, this affection, and yet none of it comes with what we would think of as being, um, love in the typical sense or intimacy in the typical sense you know it's all very kind of like soul bonding yeah Mm. so that is my choice good choice (laughs) can i bring up another quick one sure uh i love jason bateman and rachel mcadams really huge pivot okay sure Uh, their relationship in game night a game night right the the way that they show love is by being incredibly competitive both between one another oh, yeah, and yeah, against yeah. other people. That's a good movie. And yeah. they, they've had this whole, spoilers for Game Night, uh, they've had this whole issue throughout the film where Rachel McAdams uh, is trying to get pregnant and Jason Bateman isn't sure if he wants to be a dad. Yeah. And at the end, he's like, our baby, it's going to it's gonna crush every other baby. It's going to be the best. And she's like, that baby is going to destroy everyone else's baby. Yeah. And... Even the way that they decide they want to have a child is in relation to how their child can beat other people's kids. I think it's it's such a like somewhat toxic but very sweet dynamic. Mm -hmm. I love that movie and I wanted to shout it out. I love that. 
Um, I would say my pick, my my easy answer would be Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Zorro. I was gonna say when, that when they dance, oh my Dancing. god! I mean, they're yes. they're pre- they're fucking. I mean, let's be real; they're absolutely fucking with their soul and their bodies and their dancing. It's so incredibly erotic. Um, that that's my go-to answer uh, uh, for intimacy without actual sex. They but also have a sexy what, sword fight. what really hits me in terms of something that's incredibly profound, incredibly uh, soul-bonding, I think you said it really well, Alexis, is um, uh, Dr. Caceres and Carmen from uh, The Devil's Backbone. Those two characters... Now, if, if you don't know those characters' names, that's the older gentleman who has the white beard and then the, uh, the woman who has a fake leg. Um, they run the orphanage they in run the Guillermo orphanage. del Toro's The Devil's Back. They have, I think, one of my favorite relationships ever put to film, and it's incredibly romantic. And part of what's so romantic about it is that they'll, uh, spoiler alert, they'll never, they will never be together. And there's a scene where, where she is really injured, and he's been injured, and he comes up to her and does something that she has always loved, which is to read her poetry that he's written. Mm. And I cry every time I watch it because she starts to cry and then he starts to cry. uh, Because I mean, something that the movie sets up is she is sleeping with another character in the movie. And when she's sleeping with another character, the doctor is like listening through the walls because they share a wall. They have two different rooms and then when he is listening to his opera and his music, she listens through the wall at what he gets joy from. Mm-hmm. So you see them wanting to connect with one another, one perhaps sexually, the other one intellectually and emotionally, but that connection is undeniably there. And it's just so beautiful. And I'll be honest with you, I did not think of that until just now when we were recording this episode. I did not have that plan, but I just remembered that's one of my favorite, super compassionate, super passionate uh, love stories that you never see them ever get together. Um, Great film. Devil's Backbone, I still think, is my favorite Guillermo del Toro picture. Thank you, Michelle, for giving me that DVD. Aww. That's so sweet. (laughs) Uh, Do we have anything else? Uh, I mean... I could probably go on because I, this is, that's probably in my vein of just shit that I enjoy yeah. is like, I mean, you know, you know me, I enjoy oh. like a good, whatever, like some longing pining. and some, some pining and yeah. stuff. But, um, for me, what feels more real and more interesting and more important is when it has nothing to do with sex at all. Yeah. When it has everything just to do about connecting with somebody yeah. like on a very human uh, emotional level. Just being present with them is special. Just the final the yeah. final bit of super bad. <laughs> you know I love I, you, man. I yeah. love you. I, I was gonna say I, I don't even feel You weird know another good that. one is Robert Foster and Pam Greer in Jackie Brown. Yeah. That's another good example. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Where they don't bring up a Tarantino movie, you'll come back. Man. They oh don't <laughs> they don't um end up together, but goddamn it, they have a very, very special connection. One that which Samuel Jackson's character does not understand. Like that's part of his story in that movie. It's like he's kinda like, What the fuck is up with you and this old white guy? Like, what what? How is that a connection? But she's showing him um music that yeah, he's never listened meant- to. Yeah, yeah. Um 
yeah, I don't know. That's it's such a great picture. It's one of my favorite Tarantino movies. R R R. That friendship. This one for the books, guys. Oh, yeah. It sure is. <laughs> That's love. Oh, also, I'm going to go with uh, Interview with a Vampire, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. <laughs> You're oh, so yeah. toxic. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's it's just really hot. Good, Speaking. good lord. Do you disagree? That's a that's a hot uh, connection. Of course, right there. I agree. But oh, okay. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Just shut up. For that's all we're saying. <laughs> uh, Speaking of toxicity, sure. Do we want to get into it? Uh, you know what? Can I have like a side note, really quick? Of course, because of course. I told, I told Zach this. I think I texted you when I found out. Um, but Ben Wishaw is gay, and you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. I just That's I didn't know old that. News. I know, but like I'd never watched Paddington, so like I was never oh. like in his like. I've, I've, I've told you he's gay. I, I remember Definitely you. did not hear you. Wow. Maybe that was selective hearing. I don't know. But I literally, like, as soon as I found that out, because well, I have I recently, like, bought a couple more of his movies, I, like, oh, texted wow. Zach immediately, and I was like, I'm crushed. <laughs> oh, that you'll never have a chance? It, well, not just that, but I was also like, what is it about my taste in men that is maybe better than my actual gaydar? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't get what That's it is funny. because sometimes I'll be like, "Wow, they're so attractive," and then like I'll look at it and I'll be like, "Oh, they're gay." That makes so much more sense. It all makes sense. It all yeah. comes it's back. It's all adding up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all coming together. I think I knew that since he did Skyfall. I remember I really liked his performance. Well, because I also don't watch the James Bond movies. Interesting. Yeah. So was Women Talking your first introduction to him? Uh, no, because you did make me watch Paddington. Oh, so. did I? Oh, okay. Good Which, movie. technically, I don't remember if I was like... You were, you fell asleep, I think. You didn't get to the end. Oh, yeah, I don't think I finished it. I was very tired, to yeah. be fair. Um, I'd roll it for you because Nicole Kidman's in it. I know you love Nicole Kidman. I do love Nicole Kidman, but she's not playing like a hot lady in that, so it's okay. I beg to differ. Yeah, I disagree. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I take it back. She is, she yep, is there better. there it is. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm like, I'm trying to think here, uh... <laughs> Oh, Perfume. That movie, Perfume. I still need to see He's that. He's in Perfume. Yeah, I see that. And I've seen it so long ago, and I do remember he was like a noodle boy, and he was a serial killer, so I'm pretty sure I thought he was oh, wow. hot. But That's it's been Tom like... Tfiker movie. It's been a decade since I've seen that movie, and mm-hmm. I just kind of forgot that that was him. So, yeah. yeah, I think fucking Women Talking was the first time I was like, oh, yeah, like, I know him from something else. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. There we go. Great. Love well, it. tasty. Let's get into it. Yeah. Let's get yeah. into our... Film. Yeah, speaking of, of wonderful relationships that don't necessarily involve sex, um, what's the movie that we're discussing today, Alexis? All right, buckle the fuck up, y'all. We're doing Sex, Lies, and Videotape, 1989, Steven Soderbergh, starring wow. Annie McDowell, James Spader, Peter Gallagher, and Alora San Giacomo. Hell Nailed yeah. It. Slay. All of that off it. the top That's of my head. That's sister, right? Cynthia? Yeah. Great character, by the way. She's fantastic. She actually is in uh, Pretty Woman as uh, Julia Roberts' friend, who is a, a sex worker. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And she is so funny because, like, at one point in Pretty Woman, she's like, "I just don't know where to go for like any of these like really nice clothes," and her friend's like, "Rodeo Drive, baby." <laughs> she's just she's just the perfect like kind of like fun, energetic like friend. I guess I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, would you like me to read the summary? Anne, Andy McDowell, is trapped in a sexually and emotionally unfulfilled relationship with her husband, John, a successful but unpleasant lawyer who is sleeping with her sister, Cynthia, 
Laura Sangiacomo. The underlying tensions in the couple's marriage rise to the surface when Graham, James Spader, a friend of John's from college who's been drifting for nine years, returns to town and videotapes Cynthia and Anne as they talk about their sexual desires. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I'd say that's a good summation right there. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, first and foremost, bit of trivia about this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, this movie kind of sparked the wave of independent yeah. American cinema in the 1990s. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, this was before Sundance even became Sundance. Yeah. That's it was incredible. called the uh, U.S. Film Festival, I believe. Uh, I actually, it was, yeah, it was the U.S. Film Festival. Yeah. yeah. Um, that makes me happy because when I think and miss the 90s independent movement, I would say Pulp Fiction and this movie are what I think of first. They're yeah, kind but- of. Two of the really important ones. It's yeah. like people kind of forgot that this movie kind of even... Because whenever I've like... Previously, before I ever saw this movie, I'd never really heard of it talked about when people bring up independent cinema. Yeah, which You're is right. crazy yeah. because... Other bit of trivia, Stoderbergh became the youngest ever Palm d'Or winner mm-hmm. uh, with this movie. He was 26 years old. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Honestly, a lot of people were really scared to make this movie because mm. they thought that it was going to be like kind of a skin flick. Uh, right, people right. like agents straight up wouldn't, wouldn't even pass this script off to their um, people that they were representing because they were afraid of what it was going to yeah, be. Sex is in the title. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they were, you know, they didn't want nudity for any of the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was actually very hard for him to get people in for casting just specifically because the agents wouldn't even pass on the scripts to their people. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's incredible because the cast he got is unbelievable. For a yeah. movie with a $1.2 yeah. million dollar budget, that's, that's incredible. nothing. So yeah. originally they were supposed to make it for like half a million. And uh, <laughs> anyways, and originally I think he was going to do this in like black and white too. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean like he- Clerk been- style. Yeah, he'd yeah. been making a lot of like short films like since like high school and stuff. So I think he was like well, kind of he, you know, he names the last picture show as one of the movies mm-hmm. that really inspired this, and that is also a black and white film. Yeah. That's not from a black and white era. Yeah. That was seventy one, I think, and black and white was well on its way out by then, and that was still a creative choice. So maybe that played into it a bit. Well, he also said that like well specifically like when he was trying to get it optioned by different like places, they were like, You can't make this in black and white. They were just like, It's not yeah. like nobody wants to like see a black and white movie. That's a great way and, to not make money back. Yeah. And uh he kind of like at first, he was very married to the idea of making it black and white. And then eventually, I think somebody had said something or maybe he came to this determination that um, if we did it in black and white, people would be so much more interested in what how it looks yep. rather than what the story itself Great is. Great choice. And Great so choice. I think personally, it's so much better to do it in um, color. Yeah. Um, because So I watched The Last Picture Show last night uh, because of what Steven Soderbergh said. And he what he talked about was he, there are so many, uh, I think he listed The Last Picture Show, Five Easy Pieces, and um, Carnal Knowledge. Mm-hmm as movies that he thinks are just so 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 good but they're not super stylized it's an emphasis on actor performance over everything else which this movie absolutely 
is is a perfect example of that. I think he achieved that so well. So the fact that he decided to not have it be super stylized, which putting it in black and white, he's absolutely right. That now we would have been focusing on the visuals or why did they frame it that way? The whole time I'm watching this movie, I am not enjoying necessarily the framing of it. I am just so engrossed in the conversation. Yeah. Although the, the, I wouldn't say necessarily the framing, but the way the, when the camera does move. Yeah is always interesting to me because I feel like there's a lot of static shots on John, yeah. Peter Gallagher's character. And I think that that like kind of represents the fact that he himself is a static character. He does He's not stagnant. change. He has no, uh, no self, he has no introspection at yeah. all. Yeah. And therefore he is a stagnant character. Whereas there are moments where like somebody is talking and it's like kind of maybe showing like a more vulnerable side of them. And, the and I feel like starts, it starts, starts to push yeah. into them. Yeah. yeah. I also just have to quickly it's say, so simple. threw me the fuck off that Peter Gallagher's name is John Mulaney. Oh, <laughs> oh is yeah. it? Is it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know Mulaney. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's spelled differently, but I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Especially because he's like... I bet he did a, kill his wife. <laughs> he's kind of like a tall, generic-looking white guy with yeah. similar eyebrows to John Mulaney. That's kind like, of funny. What the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, I... I really just have to shout out like Steven Soderbergh as such a versatile filmmaker. Yeah, and he's, he's so great. He is a guy who, in his 34 years making movies, yeah. has, including a four-year period where he retired, mm -hmm. has made on average a movie a year, which means that there are many years where he has made two movies including, I believe, 2001, where he made Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, was nominated for Best Director twice, yeah. won. Julia Roberts wins for Aaron Brockovich. Traffic, I believe, wins Best Picture. That's um, incredible. Just nuts. Yeah. Uh, and he also just, he's not distinctive. No. Again, the fact that like my it blows my mind that he's the guy who directs all of the Magic Mike movies and, and also all does, the Ocean's Eleven and movies. And all the Ocean's Eleven movies. I and, fucking love Ocean's Eleven. And Contagion, Aaron Brockovich, Contagion's Sex so Legend. You can't cor you, you cannot corner this guy. Like, he has, a, all over he the has a quote that I want to bring up. Go for sure. it. Uh, where he talks about thinking of filmmaking as a sport yeah. and saying uh, when you're moving super fast, you don't have time to be pretentious. Mm. And I, I think that really does nail down I, like why so why we don't I have think... like a, an intense like picture of what a Steven Soderbergh movie looks like because right. he's cranking them out so quick he's just making what he wants to make and going. For I it. think he yeah. fears being perceived as pretentious. I really think he fears that because in the interview on the DVD mm -hmm. where he's being uh, they asked him about why did you call it Sex Life and Videotape and he said oh I had like thirty ideas that I wanted mm -hmm. to name this film and each one was more pretentious than the last and I just I hated all of it until one day he was just like sex lives and videotape like that that was kind of like their working title until it just ended up becoming that yeah um it's a great title I think yeah I think he's trying to actively not be pretentious which is interesting that's a good I don't know I think it's yeah. a good goal as an artist you know I I also watched one of his uh interviews where I think it was like on a fucking bench or something yeah i saw that one oh, okay yeah where he was like talking about how um basically like all the short films that he did like he did one very that was very specifically born of specifically his experiences and then he was yeah, talking about yeah. how um 
when he was writing the script, he kind of, for Sex, Lies, and Videotape, he kind of realized that, you know what, actually, I can't just write what my experiences are. I think I need to put them into, like, a fictional setting and to kind of let it grow from that. And I think that that was definitely, like, the more... That that was the right that, choice. That's something I yeah. struggled with when I was back in film school of mm-hmm. that whole thing. Well, you know, create what you know, which I think could actually be a pitfall because then you just think what Soderbergh said in the interview was uh, um, knowing that these things had happened to him, real lived experiences, somehow in his mind validated them as art. Yeah. Which he realizes, you said he needed to create more distance between himself and and the story he's trying to tell so he can fully express himself the way he feels he has to. You know why this also is like that, though, is because, like, the script was, for the most part, like, they stuck to the script. But, you know, in rehearsals, you know, he had such a talented fucking cast, you know, Mm -hmm. and, like, James Spader is, apparently, he just, he loves accidents, you know, and so a lot of times if something, like, accidentally happens... He sure does love accidents. You seen Crash? (laughs) Uh, come on <laughs> that was that was solid you were you were oh, doing I'm, that intentionally I'm, I'm breathless just from the idea that so wasn't like, i'm not laughing i'm just like ah, you're right <laughs> that just um, felt so on purpose i'm sorry <laughs> no specifically i was watching like a making of the movie and andy mcdowell straight up said jimmy likes accidents so like when he comes into the room when they first meet um she's he says something like it was like oh can i use the bathroom and she's like oh yeah and then like they're coming in and then he's like so where is it and she's like oh, oh it's, it's over there that was an accident like she was just supposed to like let him in and say like it was over there but she just kind of like forgot he let the scene drag a little and then he asked her and then that happened and then the same thing with the fucking iced tea where it starts to spill that was an accident and then was they it just really yeah and then they just oh, kept wow. it because he was like oh, oh i love that you know that like, was an accident yes like and so that's it's like incredible so the thing is is that like the characters wow. and like everything that you can write something, but the actors are the ones who make it real. You know, they bring it to life in a lot of ways because they add yeah. their own um, perception and like identity to these characters. And I think that's what makes the movie work so well is like how much care, because yeah. this is a movie that like so many people were afraid to make, you know? Yeah. And so there was actually a lot of care, like the people that did actually like end up being in it really fucking cared about these they characters. Really believed in it. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to piggyback on top of that. I, I love where you're going with this because the first time we watched this together, yeah. I really really loved how when the diner scene where james spader's talking about how he um is, is impotent. impotent as he's explaining it uh annie mcdowell is stroking the stem of her wine glass in a very sexual way mm-hmm. and i remember loving that choice like god that's so great in the interview steven soderbergh also when filming it on set he was like oh my because that's not written no he's like oh my god she's not even aware that she's doing this this is, and I'm not going to call attention to it because as soon as I point out to Andy McDowell, hey, what you're doing with that glass, great, keep doing it. He found out she, okay, later yeah. on yeah. that because he thought she was just doing this mm-hmm. un- unaware. Turns out that was a conscious choice mm-hmm. that she was making and that she kept doing every take. And she, he was so blown away because it felt so just organic from the material mm-hmm. that how on earth could something like that possibly be premeditated she 
worked she was in classes at this time like acting classes and stuff so she literally took the script um and she worked it for like i think like a few months or something she worked it on stage constantly that's so cool and like figured out the mannerisms that she thought that this woman would kind of be because like she especially because like she went into this movie with nobody really taking her really seriously as an actress she was just kind of a pretty face a very model-esque body at that point right and so she very specifically when she was like choosing kind of like the clothes she wanted things that were more flow flowy and like feminine and like less kind of you know less makeup less bringing attention to her being like so beautiful or something she wears flats and, throughout the entire film too, yeah which is a good character choice yeah and like she she worked on specifically like the way that she walked the way that she like ate in like the dining scene you know very mm-hmm. feminine like little scoops of her strawberries which is funny because that's been know? stuff that spader comments on later he's like i've been watching the way you eat the yeah. way you mm-hmm. hold yourself yeah and so because being yeah, so specific in about the that script, yeah. in the script, you know? so she had to yeah. yeah yeah and so she she explored that you know and um so i don't know i thought I, I really I really should let you guys borrow my Criterion Collection version of this movie. Because I would love to. holy shit, it looks so fucking good. Oh my god, like the, the, the 4K restoration that they did of it oh and shit. then the audio. I like watched like the behind the scenes uh where they like talked about the 2018 like restoration of like audio. They literally had to go back to like a premix <laughs> to like actually like do this 2018 like redo yeah. and like it the, the voices are just so it, so much clearer and they sound so much better i don't know it's, I, it's crazy i sorry go ahead one last thing was that like soderbergh straight up said like uh well the guy who does his his mixing larry i think something like that he said uh that soderbergh said if you have any older versions of this movie fucking throw them away if you have this version is it that good wow yeah he, he just straight up that. was like this is the best version i think this is our because he's he's remixed this so many times in the last 29 years that like he was like this is it i hope this word i hope we're finished with it this time i <laughs> i really want to call call attention to the mix actually because um part of why i think other than what makes the conversation so engrossing isn't just the acting and it isn't just how good the dialogue is but this is something i noticed on a second viewing the lack of music is so fucking important to this movie i mean it really is we talk about how sometimes music is overused but it's so this movie is so tactile when she's on the couch you hear her fabric shifting you hear the bird song outside you hear the sound of a lawnmower there is nothing to distract you there's nothing to tell you how to feel subconsciously you're simply there it makes you a better listener it makes the audience more intent on their listening and it's so so effective i love the sound design another great example of great sound design is at the end after um spoiler alert uh and discovers irrefutable evidence that John is having sex with likely Cynthia. I know the exact moment you're going to And she bring up. leaves her house, she goes into her car, and it's almost like the sound of the atmosphere of the birds and everything outside is getting louder, and then she covers her ears, and all the sound cuts out. I fucking love that it transition. It all cuts out, yeah. and then it cuts to a different angle, and she gets out, she lowers her hands, and so, so all the sound comes back, and it reveals that she had driven to Graham's house. Yeah. That is one of my favorite edits of all time, and it's with sound. 
that is what's so great about it. And then one more thing that they do with the sound design, which I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it's an interesting choice. Um, so often in TV and movies, you have a phone conversation with the character that's on screen, and then the voice that you hear on the other line mm-hmm. has like a, a, a telephone a filter. filter. Yeah. This movie does not do that. No, it's like if, they're right there. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that they're in the room with the actor. No, because the audio of the person that we're not seeing on the phone conversation has even clearer audio than the person that we're watching. It's like they're in the theater with us, yeah. which is such a strange choice. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I want to give a shout out to the sound design of this film because it is impeccable yeah. and it br- it makes the movie powerful. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you bring up that moment of silence because I, I think there was, I think it was Bruce Campbell recently who made a comment about how filmmakers don't really use silence anymore. Like yeah. when, when the last Jedi came out yep. and there's the sequence in that where uh, a spaceship goes through a right, star destroyer and the, sound cuts out. and the sound cuts out. So great. Theaters literally had to put disclaimers outside of the theater that there is a point in during this film where the sound cuts out. That is an intentional choice by the wow. filmmakers. The project Damn. is not broken. I'm, oh. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it does speak to like how loud yeah. a lot of sound well, mixes I watched are. something recently with you, and there was a huge explosion. And right before the huge explosion, all the sound whoosh, cuts out. And when yeah. the explosion does happen, it feels ten times more powerful. Yeah. Because of just a very easy sound design thing. Yeah. To me, I, I, I really enjoyed the silence of this movie because it plays into the voyeurism. Yeah. Um, because without a soundtrack underneath oh i love voyeurism it's like probably one of my favorite aspects of like all movies that are like my favorite movies there's always some sort of it's inherently voyeuristic to to enjoy film yeah we're just watching well yeah definitely but like you know like you guys really love like your action movies and all these scenes. I tend to really real like these are the type of movies that i will re-watch like over and over again just because i want to sit and watch these characters you yeah. know, and there's just something inherently like, uh, like a need it, to experience the voyeurism of watching these people. Yeah. You know, it's such a good character study. This film, it you is know? so so great. It's not driven by plot. It's simply driven by characters exploring themselves and each yeah. other and ideas. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I really like that. It would be super easy to make a version of this movie where. You know, Anne is broadly, like, a good person. Cynthia is a bitch. You know, like, yeah, you, you can make that, that movie. Oh, she's sleeping with her not sister's husband. Cut. Like, you yeah. could make that movie. Yeah. Anne is kind of unpleasant. Like, there are moments in this movie, and it's for, like, a good reason, mm-hmm. but there are moments in this movie where I'm like, Jesus, you are so goddamn judgmental of your sister. You are so pent up, mm-hmm. which is I, the whole point. Well, and I... I don't know. I think that when we see the movie play out from different people's perspective, it really does shift your sympathies in such an exciting way. I definitely, I can see where you're coming from with that, but I, you know, listening, like being a woman and having my own experiences, seeing other, like I grew up in a primarily like female household, you know, I've listened to a lot, um, listening to Andy McDowell and Laura talk in the behind the scenes. They specifically bring up the fact that like, um, 
And, and, and actually, the essay that is at the beginning of my pamphlet for my Criterion Collection DVD. Bubble <laughs> um, It is available, like, online if you just want to, like, look <laughs> it up. But um, they talk about how their, their characters are explored in the negative of each other. Like, they're direct parallels in, in a way, you know, where, like, you know, obviously, like... Anne is very sexually repressed Very versus um, Cynthia, Cynthia is very, I wouldn't say necessarily like sexually liberated, but she uses sex Hypersexual. as like, yeah. yeah. And um, they talk about how Anne, like when she's exploring her character, she realized that, you know what? Anne probably grew up being the good girl, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. And <laughs> part of that is the expectation of being a good girl and like being a good girl in the South and in a, and in a, and in a family and, you know, getting married and, you know, being faithful and like so much so that she like straight up, like doesn't even explore herself sexually. She doesn't even masturbate, you know, like mm -hmm. that's just an element of this idea of being a good girl, you know? And so she very specifically won't allow, she even says at one point, like, I don't like talking about sex because that makes me feel like my sister. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And um, because she's always talking about like she doesn't even like it when people say the word fucking, you know, she's you just say like, that word. You know how it irritates me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. it's like it's 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 like it's grading her in like it's this dirty word almost it's i don't yeah. know maybe it's just like reminding her of like all these things that she doesn't feel like she understands i think in a certain way or like yeah. feels that she can't isn't allowed to enjoy because she is the quote unquote good girl you yeah. know and then also once you know words out that there's this new guy in town grandma what does he look like maybe i'll stop by and visit him that's cynthia talking mm -hmm. this is after uh, Anne has already had a couple of conversations with Graham. Mm -hmm. And so she's being very kind of like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want this weird. I don't want you hanging out with him and all this kind of stuff. Put, you know, pushing back on, on Cynthia quite a bit. And it, I just, I love that because it shows that for the first time in this film, she, Anne, has had a profound connection with another character, that soul binding that you're talking mm -hmm. to. So she's already feeling uh, protective of Graham. And does not want Cynthia anywhere near this guy because she herself has this special connection with him and doesn't really, I think she kind of wants to keep that separate a little bit. And I think she's also concerned about, because this is after Graham's told her he's right. impotent. Right, yeah. exactly. I think she's she concerned about him, him being embarrassed. Right. Because, yeah. you know, if his, her sister makes a pass. Yeah, so I'm not I saying she's being that, selfish, but... I, but I think another thing that is there is just that obviously both of these characters are inherently attracted to each other. Yeah. And he won't, she will not admit that because she can't admit that she has sexual feelings at all. Yeah. Like she won't allow herself to feel those things. And he won't admit it because he is like physically, emotionally distancing himself from sex as intimacy yes. and so he won't feel that attraction he won't allow himself to feel that attraction for her because it is part of his maintaining a distance like at that one point he says i have spent nine years yep. curating my life so that something like this, this wouldn't happen would ha yeah. wouldn't happen yeah you know like you were breaking my way. walls down and i spent so long carefully yeah. curating them you know that God. That's another thing I so loved about this movie, especially when you have 
John played again. Like un- Peter plays the under- perfect asshole. Un- understated, underrated shit. performance. John uh, Peter Gallagher is mm-hmm. so good in this movie. Yeah, he, he really he's is. up there as as good as the others. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. he, so he kind of has to hold the center. Oh, absolutely, movie, he's so great. Um, but uh, what I was what I was gonna say is what was so uh, captivating about Graham James Bader's character is his his ability to be honest. Like he's mm-hmm. such an honest, he will answer your questions straightforward, even if it's an uncomfortable answer, but everybody, he's just so, so honest. And I remember writing in my notes, like, God damn it. That's part of what makes him so attractive and almost seem so confident. is his ability to just simply answer a question completely and utterly honestly, which is why when you then reveal later on that he is a, um, recovering pathological pathological liar yeah that oh god i loved that so much because it just adds such great layers to him our square of characters are all we they all reveal each other within the negative Mm. so you have the sisters who have this like kind of like thing with like sex right so you have one that is anti and one that is very pro Mm. and then you also have graham and peter where it's like very clearly peter lives no John, 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 yeah. John lives his life as a fucking liar and yeah. Graham lives his life in only trying to tell the truth and it makes people very uncomfortable, you know? Um, so I think it draws people to him too, though. Yeah, I mean, of course it does. I mean, once, once, when Cynthia's talking about, okay, that's so what, that's what makes this, John uncomfortable. This interview thing, like, what are you going to do with it? What, what, like, what are you going to ask me? Like, you're going to take me and he's just answering the question. Like, no, you don't have to do anything. You don't want to just yeah. dialogue. And, She's just taken by, wow, this, okay. All right, yeah, this guy's just being so honest. I think it's because, like, I don't know. He also looks like James Spader, and his hair is fabulous. His hair is so good. Oh, he my God, He has the most hair. perfect pillowy lips. Um. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, have to, I have to shout out Soderbergh for kicking off James Spader's horny freak era. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, he did the Lord's work. Because this is the first in a string yeah. of movies where... Agents in the 90s to early 2000s would be like, yeah. hey, so uh, we've got a role coming I, across our desk for a, I know. a strange, perverse sex freak with some sort of That's, some sort of a sexual problem. This Let's is, get James This is a very psychosexual movie, and Spader's like, I'm in. I'm this in. Is, this is why I have said before that uh, Interview with a Vampire could have been the sexiest film of all time if they had put James Spader in it as well. Because... <laughs> James Spader, Antonio Banderas, Brad Pitt, and Tom Cruise. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little excited right now. But yes, mother, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I know <laughs> it's a good segue. Worry, your mom. mom, in the same sentence. <laughs> I know you don't like James Spader. Yeah, I was not allowed to watch James Spader growing up. She just doesn't like him. Mom, I love you, but you're wrong. <laughs> James Spader is fabulous. I he is love that man. He's such a good actor. He's, yeah, he's really hot. All right, he's a really talented actor. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, well, you know, my, my first note was our introduction to our three central characters were captivated by Anne's words, were captivated by John's audacity, and were captivated by Graham's presence. And that, yeah. for throughout the rest of the film, is there because remember he's getting dressed and shaving like in a public restroom she's on this the, the couch with her therapist and i think he's just fucking straight up i think he's fucking cynthia right in the opening yep. yeah. yeah so yeah uh, that carries us throughout the whole film your initial reaction yeah. i think stays with it what i think yeah. is so beautiful 
You know, it's one of my favorite moments is when he's watching the tape that he made of Cynthia and Cynthia's like when laying John's down. watching it. No, because John doesn't want to watch Cynthia's. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're, right. you're right. You're right. Um, you're right. You're always right. When Graham's on the floor. When Graham's on the floor, yeah. he's clearly naked. Yeah. Um, with his nipple. <laughs> <laughs> Feel a little bit sure. nipply. Sure. 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 It's a wee bit uh, nipply. Um, he's he's watching it. But it doesn't necessarily look like he's uh, having, like, any very specific sexual enjoyment. It actually looks like it's kind of, like, causing him pain. I'm it's specifically, so specifically when she says, do you think I'm pretty? And he says, yes, in the tape. And then he, she says, am I prettier than Anne? And he says, just different. And at that moment, he turns away almost like he's kind of hurt. And there's like, the music is kind of like delicately playing underneath. And it's like, she's saying something that is so vulnerable and also so telling of who she is as a character. And at this point, he knows that like, she's sleeping with Anne's husband. So it's like, there's so much that can be said of just like, she is in this constant, comparison of her of her identity of herself against her sister being the quote-unquote good girl you know the pretty gorgeous woman you know and so for cynthia sex is all she has right you know in so many ways i think that's what she how she views it what i really love about that is steven soderbergh has described the very scene you're talking about graham reacting to cynthia's tape it originally it was written and in, 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 when they were shooting it, Soderbergh had this in his mindset that this is the scene that shows that Graham is over his own bullshit. Basically being like, this is him realizing that this whole videotaping women talking about sex thing, he's over it now. Like, this is now him wanting to escape this latest phase of his life. He was a pathological liar. Then he was this for nine years. And this is the scene that's showing him going... I he's uncomfortable in his own skin mm-hmm. and that's him kind of shifting around a little bit which was interesting because when I first saw it, I didn't interpret it that way mm-hmm. so hearing that from Soderbergh I think says a lot about Graham's character and where he is at at that point yes I, I agree because he has this instant connection with Anne and they have dis- they have multiple discussions outside of the realm of a videotape and yeah. where they become close they become closer, they get to know each other, they get to, you know, kind of answer each other's vulnerabilities without that padding of the videotape. Yeah. And so I think that that is kind of part of the catalyst to where he watches Cynthia and he's actually uncomfortable with this level of vulnerability even through this videotape. Yeah. So. Really quickly, I just want to talk about the fucking odd audacity of man as in john (laughs) so he okay so folks you know it by this point this whole whole movie he's sleeping with ann's sister he's married to ann he's sleeping with his sister-in-law throughout the whole film cool guy and when it's revealed by ann that she has performed an interview with graham and he says well i know you didn't fuck ha jokes on you buddy um i know you (laughs) didn't fuck Uh, when he finally gets it out of her, because she's already like, I want a divorce because I know you're sleeping with my sister. He's like, ah, yeah, fuck it. Fine, whatever. And then he's like, okay, just tell me, did you do an interview? Did you do an interview? And she's like, yes. And he has to do everything he can to not Not hit hit her. her. Yeah. Hit her. This is the man that is 
has been sleeping with his sister-in-law throughout the whole time. But when it's revealed cool that she has done an interview, she it takes everything in his power to not hit him. So what does he do instead? He then leaves and immediately goes and, and physically yeah, abuses Graham. Graham. Now, here's the thing. What is so, I think, so telling about that, and I'm not you know blowing anyone out of the water by saying this, but it really shows how fragile John is and what a piece of shit that he is because the in, the engagements that he is uh, acting with is they're not meaningful. That's why Cynthia is like, oh, I would trust Graham before I would trust you, John. I mean, shit, you're sleeping with your sister. You're sleeping with your uh, with your wife's sister, and which, like, goddamn, okay. But I mean, I mean you she, know, she, no, she raises a good. She point. makes a good. I didn't I make did, a vow that, that I have to be devout to her my entire life. I that mean, that's was valid. one of the biggest laughs I got. And that's um, also very funny. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that the, that really also speaks to uh, the relationship between Anne and Graham is John's reaction to it. It shows you just how meaningful it is because that is what he finds so threatening. And that's why he was so threatened. The fact that Cynthia did an interview as well. You don't have to get even to the halfway point to understand how fragile John is. Oh, yeah. Because he Absolutely. constantly brings it up. He, yeah. at the very beginning, he says, oh, yeah, my friend's going to come and stay with me. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a little lost, you know? And then you see him and he's like, Oh, like what the fuck is up with all this black artsy shit that you're wearing, uh, right? Weird how, Art how hard he focuses on like how Graham has. Uh, let's not forget that he makes a joke about how when I first saw you on my property, I almost called the cops. Yeah, he uh, says that. God. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. seriously. I, I, I mean, he's like I a, wrote in my notes. He's a yuppie, you he's know? A he is a yuppie. But the thing is, is that for him, he is married to his identity as a yeah. man who checks all the boxes. He is conventionally attractive. He has a well-paying job. He yep. has a beautiful wife. He has a nice has home. A yeah. And he has sexual prowess. Yeah. Right. Because he could fuck anybody. Right. Yeah. He says at the very beginning, I should have just bought myself a fucking ring when I turned 18, saved myself a lot of money because women just want to fuck a man yep. who's married. They yep. just love the idea of it. And he's so like he's so married to this to this concept of himself as being the ultimate like bag yeah. that the idea of some woman being interested in a man who has no house, no money, like His no job, looks like a fucking bohemian. I only you know? want one key because it's clean. Yes. Yeah. You know, like he, this, he's like, he's like, how can some woman want that? If I am all of this, yeah, he can't and then, even fuck. And then the, and then the ultimate, which is still a fucking audacity, this man. So after he beat up, beats up Graham, oh, watches the tape. Guy. He then completely sobered up, basically. He's mm -hmm. gotten the anger out of his system. And so he does what any weak, stupid fucking male would do, which is to kick Black someone out. while they're down. And yeah. he walks out of the house and says, but, oh, so there's a character that Graham was with romantically at one point. And like, we never kind of kicked everything off. We never meet her. His name's, her name is Elizabeth. Yeah, they dated in college, and that is where John and Graham were originally friends, was in college. Yeah, they were and frat he, brothers. He yeah. walks out and says, I fucked Elizabeth before you broke up, by the way. Before you two even had trouble. She was no saint. She was great in bed. She could keep a secret. That's all I have to say about her. 
and watch. That's about all I can. Say that's all. That's about all I can because say. Because he about doesn't it. even know her either. Exactly. So you know? it's like it's like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say something real quick to piss you off, and that's all I got. And then he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Which is fuck. why it is so fuck. it is so like his comeuppance at the end is so fun because it's beautiful because you've watched Poetic. this man you've watched this man have the audacity the yeah. entire movie yeah. he. It's very specifically it says here okay uh fuck i wrote this down <laughs> oh kirkland is his first big case as a partner at the law firm he very specifically says this and he reschedules him twice to go fuck cynthia yeah this man is yep. so confident in his prowess yep. as a man a sexual being a member of society that he can't fathom that any of this is going to come back on him and of course it does yeah like I, I kind of get the feeling he's about to get fucking yeah, fired. Yeah, you can't leave your oh, job absolutely. over yeah. and over again to go fuck your mistress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <sighs> um, yeah uh, really, really great picture. I also want to give another shout out to a character we haven't talked about yet. Is the guy at the bar? Oh my god! Oh my god! I love it. Guy. I love it. Hey, you know, I spent a lot of money in here. I should at least know, you know, your name. Hey, nice plant. Looks like a tablecloth. Uh, I thought he was so funny. Uh, he reminded me of the character from The Glass Onion, where he just like just shows up, like, "Oh, hey, by the way, I'm I'm here. Just you know, I'm not really involved, but yeah, what's up?" And then he walks away. I don't know. I like characters that just kind of come in. They're not there for any purpose at all, and yeah. then they just kind of come out to crack a joke. And this yeah. movie seems so much like a movie that wouldn't have that, but it does. Yeah. Which again is a weird choice that I enjoyed. Well, this kind of a comedy in in some ways. Yeah. It's kind of. It's it's a comedy in like a traditional structural sense. Yes, because the everything works out for the characters in the end. Yeah. 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 Um so Zach, do you have anything? You've been so silent because me and Mick can't stop talking. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I feel like I, I said my piece. I really just wanted to talk about uh Soderbergh and how fucking versatile he is as a filmmaker. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Cannot wait to see what he does next. Uh He's actually talking about making a sequel to this movie. I did see uh, that. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And, Holy shit. Uh, also, I want to shout out his movie No Sudden Move with Don mm-hmm. Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro. That's on my list. And Brendan Fraser. I gotta watch it. It's on HBO Max. It didn't Fuck get yeah. a theatrical release. For the life of me, I don't know why. It rules. Came out in 2021. Check it out. Okay, great. Uh, I have so many more things to say. So I have like, a lot go, more to say, yeah. too. Okay, well, we should be trying to wrap up because we're okay. swiftly approaching the runtime well, of the film. Okay, so re- something I'll put out there is how do we all feel about um, that quote that Graham says in the uh, diner? Men fall in love with women they're attracted to, and women become more and more attracted to the person they love. I wrote that down, too. So how do we feel about it? Because I'll be honest, I don't know how I feel about it. I think I want to hear your guys' opinions. Um, Men fall in love with women they're attracted to, and women uh, become more and more attracted to the person that they love. I think that that's a way of saying, as a male saying this. So obviously, it's already coming from a level of 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 personal experience. Personal experience also is a bit superficial, but men are superficial creatures uh they will find that soul bonding with the person that they want to fuck with the person that they find fuckable to breed and then create more humans women on the other hand i think that's what this is saying is that women become more and more attracted to that person that they feel that profound 
connection with. That can start off as a friendship. It can start off as coworkers. It can start off as whatever the fuck it is. But they will be more. They will realize more and more and more. Like, wow, I find it attractive when they say that or do that, uh, because they realize perhaps in hindsight that this is that person I've had a special connection with, and they just become more and more attracted to that profound yeah. uh, uh, soul bond. I think that. I mean, we have to take into account that this movie came out 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's true. I mean, you know, different landscape probably for men as a whole, you yeah. know, and like kind of how you view things. But I would say that I agree. <laughs> um, I agree as well, yeah. <clears throat> because uh, I've found that most of the time um, men from personal experience, have to find you attractive before they give you a chance at playing the game for their heart. Um, Whereas I actually find that, like, I will straight up, like, find somebody, like, not attractive, like, at all, like, in a sexual sense. And I will just, like, end up, like, talking to them about something. And that is what makes me think, oh, my God, is there something very attractive about you? That's kind of crazy. You know, and I just, and, and as time goes on, I do find them more and more attra- attractive is yeah. because of that, you know, because I'm, because I genuinely, I'm just like, oh, you're funny, you know, oh, right. you're humorous. Oh, you have like interesting thoughts or like, oh, you you're not opinions. toxic, yeah. you know, like there's all these very interesting things about you. And that is what makes me attracted to you because it's not about fucking, it's about intimacy. Right. Yeah. Um, Fuck, I, I think that's a perfect answer. No, yeah, I think, I think you pretty much hit the nail you, on the head you, there. You, you know what's really funny to kind of tie into this? In sex, I think it was Sex in the City that said this first, but that... Um, Hell yeah. Great. Or <laughs> centuries I, greatest I minds. Stop, I can't stop quoting those movies either, but go ahead. Uh, this is from the TV show, though, is that... Um, Wait, which women, TV show? Sex in the City? Sex or, in the City. Uh, what's, what's the spinoff show? Uh, I don't even know. Come on, guys. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, so, Sorry, Sex in the City. Uh, they say something like, "Oh, she didn't. Oh, she didn't understand this guy. Like, didn't want to get engaged for like the longest time while they were together. And then, like, you know, like a couple years down the road, he like married like the first, the next woman that he fucking started dating, right? And then they had this conversation that was just like, well, don't you know, like, women are always looking for their forever partner, but like women are." ready to have like marriage or something and this is obviously this is not a newer show you know so let's take this with a grain of salt but um they're saying that men will marry the first woman that comes along when they're ready there is in ready to get married Hmm. yeah interesting so like instead of like marrying like the person that they had this like really great relationship with like for a very long time they will wait until they're actually ready themselves to be married and then they will kind of essentially pick up the first girl that uh, comes along at that point and uh which is actually very funny because i've seen this happen like multiple times before um so i'm like there's there's definitely an element of truth to that to some men you know obviously i would never make grant uh, sweeping generalizations about men in general so um, not yes. when we're recording, at least. Yeah. Of course not. <laughs> My mom would berate me again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we talk about what your mom berated no, you no, for? No, no, please. That uh, me up. Um, can I just say that it was Peter G- Gallagher's decision to do the plant? 
On his dick. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> yeah, because they um, were just originally gonna have him naked in the bed and she was gonna come wait, in. His cho- that was his choice. That was his choice oh, to put boo. the plant on his dick. That's boo. amazing because I because he's like she likes plants, right? I think it'd be cooler. It'd be more fun see, to like kind of do that. That's another example see, like that, of actors but also, making. As an actor, I'll respect you more if you hanged up. But here's the thing. That's, that, just, it's that's such, a thing about it's me. a great <laughs> character choice because when I see that, I'm going, "This man's fucking clueless." Yeah. Like this man. Had, he is so every time that I think he can't make a shallower pool of himself, it gets even more shallow because it's also funny. Yeah. Like he's clowning. Because oh, that shit was mad it funny. It looks kind of phallic. She's like, is that for me? Is that for me? <laughs> because that I also, also for me? like <laughs> yeah. when she moves it, like because he's wiggling around, like... <laughs> you see the hook of this plant like, like kind of jiggle? wiggling, and it and it's bent over like a hook. So it just I don't know. It just gives yeah. me. It just it makes me think you, his it, penis it, is gross. <laughs> and then. <laughs> Well, and then Peter she pulls Gallagher, Peter Gallagher. Unfortunately, you didn't show your penis, so you have so no evidence she to refute pulls that. The and plant, until you can prove it, we're going to say you have a weird penis. When she pulls the plant, all I can show think of is pain. now he probably has spotted dick with like bits of soil on it. I'm like, this is the least attractive thing you could ever do. Um, so, but also another thing I'll say is I love how we see. And forgive Cynthia that by was getting was her a house plan. That's what I just wanted yeah. to bring up. It was just such a great That moment. wasn't in the script originally. Really? Oh, that's awesome. No. What Andy McDowell, she comes script, from a family. Great performances from she she okay. comes from a family of sisters. And so she said that she thought it was important that Anne, that Anne can let go of her marriage, but she cannot let go of her sister. Absolutely. And that she comes and she forgives her. It's one of my and favorite like moments in the movie. Makes it, yeah, no, it's it is. It's so simple. Yeah, it's great. Like, I don't know that so my... So simple. I don't know that my middle sister would agree in this. Like, I think she would be like, she'd be like, no, fuck that. I would never fucking... I ain't getting no house plants from my <laughs> she, sister. She's like, she's like, I would... She's like, if you did something like that to me, I would never fucking forgive you, you know? Well, you told me what she said about you uh, when you guys watched Atonement for the first time. She was like, I swear to God, you ever pull shit like this i will kill you you remember that yeah i think that's so funny yeah um yeah i i think it's funny that we're we're ragging on the script because uh soderbergh yeah one is great too yeah Yeah, of course we're we're joking we're joking but it's actually a pivot into something i want to talk about which is soderbergh is a guy who throughout his career has kind of exerted more and more control over the movies he's made yeah like on this he was the writer director editor uh, then he went through a period where he worked with a bunch of great DPs and great editors. And then once he felt like he was kind of competent enough, yeah. took over the whole process. He yeah. DPs his own movies. Yeah. He directs his own That's movies. Crazy. He edits his own movies. But he no longer writes his movies. Oh my God, please. I have something. Yeah, I'm going to take it away. Essay. Take it away. Okay. From the Criterion Collection essay by uh, Amy Taubin. Uh, so this is for the 2018 release of this film. Please see this. It's so fucking gorgeous. It says at the very, towards the very end, it says a hands-on movie maker from the beginning. Soderbergh wrote, directed and edited sex lies and videotape over the past 18 years. He has also taken charge of the cinematography for his films. But even as he has embraced being his own director of photography, Soderbergh has gradually pulled away from writing, looking again at sex lies and videotape, a film whose script and direction speaks to a singular, deeply held vision I wonder if Soderbergh's rejection of writing doesn't have something in common with Graham's rejection of passionate relationships in favor of creating desire through images that are, mm. that are at one remove. We read the same article. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's an essay. I, I disagree with them. I disagree with them Do fervently you? because I think what it actually speaks to, 
And I'm going to shout out a uh, video essay I watched. Uh, Patrick H. Willems has an essay on mm. heist films, and he talks a lot about Soderbergh. Right, right, right. Soderbergh has talked about how he's realized that he loves making heist films. He's made four right. because mm-hmm. they are a microcosm of filmmaking. Yeah. And they are also about collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I think part of why Soderbergh yeah. no longer writes his movies is to keep that aspect alive. of creative collaboration yeah. alive, even That's as interesting. he takes over more technical aspects. So I, See, I disagree again, with this you, is a Criterion man, Collection. I think, he, <laughs> I think this is a man that really does fear pretension. Because again, this is that I think is an act of a man who, who, who his main goal is to create good art, not to not to be considered a great artist. Yeah. That's his goal. I also just, I mean, clearly he's an artist. I just, I mean, how many things can you make that are inherently deeply as personal as sex lies and videotape really are? Like how much of that do you have in you to give over and over again? And it still feel fresh and genuine and real, you know? So like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, who, who's to say that he hasn't, like, ever tried to, like, you know, write something again? And maybe it's just, like, maybe the, it just isn't maybe what he Maybe he just wanted. doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's, it's not, it wasn't his only script he wrote, but as he went on, yeah. he phased out yeah. writing. Yeah, um, but it's probably the most deeply personal. Yes, yeah. 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 yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So that is actually something that I don't know that we like actually like discussed at all. But just the fact that like that's what Graham does like in the movie is he's like constantly using this video camera to like create distance between him and other people he's and a relationships. He's a real Sammy Fable. <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> Let's go, boys. Yeah. God, James Spader's so hot. I just like I. Yeah. I could fall asleep to this movie. I could fall asleep just to like seeing James Spader on the couch. Oh my God. The very, some of the last like imagery of like him and Anne, like him laying on the couch and then she takes his hand and just like places it on her face and kind of like moves it up into her hairline is like something so inherently erotic erotic and intense and intimate and you, you know, we've been waiting for this moment for these characters that, to touch for the yeah, whole movie, and then it comes, and it's so simple. That's why I feel like this movie is just so incredibly tactile because so much. I mean, they so much. That in the essay too. When we when we feel <laughs> when we really feel something with somebody, it's it's when we touch them, even if it's on accident, if your knees touch or whatever, just like that is the feeling that really you know warms the cockles of your heart really gets you really passionate and stuff like that's a line from a Woody Allen movie I apologize um, but yeah I, I, I <laughs> love two, two thumbs error, down you didn't have two to tell us that I'm just saying we would have accepted it if you uh, had said that but you no know, I, I love them and then when she at the end she comes down um, yeah I think yeah she comes down at the very ending shot and she sits on the little stoop and he's there and he just starts stroking her arm. Mm-hmm. Very, I mean, that's just that feeling. It's just, I mean, it's not even a, it's not even a cat call thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's a just, little sexy. It's though. so sweet, and it's so also, yeah, maybe a little erotic. I don't know. This movie just captures. It is the perfect example of what I, you're talking about I, of passion without necessarily fucking. Yeah, because so that's the other thing is that like at the end of that moment where like they touch for the first time, like we can clearly infer that they are going to fuck, you know, because like he turns off the video camera and, you know, like the the mood is right. I think that's what happens personally. Um, 
but that's the important thing is that he turns the camera off. You know, this yeah. is now something that it, it no longer, there is no longer a barrier between him and the experience of intimacy. Yeah. He's going to experience it very fully. And I think that that ending scene where they're like touching like so gently is very much just him finally being comfortable expressing intimacy yeah. with physicality. And I also love that we, I mean, it, it doesn't say they have sex, but let's be honest, we know they have sex. And I love that we don't see it because oh, yeah, of course not. It, it is absolutely a moment for them. Yeah. It's not about us and how, oh, we just want to see them finally fuck. Fuck that. No, uh, you're being selfish as a view, as a, uh, as a viewer. As a like, boy, yeah. You <laughs> like that is a moment that's private. He shuts off the camera so John can't see. He shuts off the camera so that Graham could never see it. Yeah. Like no one, this is a very special, meaningful bonding moment for them. And I think that this is, Something that makes this movie stand out to contemporary Hollywood filmmaking, which is kind of what I was getting at mm -hmm. earlier, is that not only is there no real on-screen sex anymore, but in most relationships in, like, big studio movies, yeah. it doesn't feel like there's any heat. No. It doesn't feel like there's any passion. It doesn't feel yeah. like, even if you don't see it, it doesn't feel like these people yeah. are going to fuck. That's... You never see it in this movie. You well, know that Andy McDowell and James Spader are fucking. Yeah, and this you know whole... that they are because there is that heat and passion between them. You I, buy it. I think that Sex Lives and Videotape is the cinematic equivalent of foreplay. It just the excitement that you get through the lead up to to the release. You could say to to the act of sex. I think is arguably the most special feeling when it comes to sex is foreplay. This is my own per personal two cents. And I love that Soderbergh even says that this movie is not about sex. It's about what leads up to it and then what results from it. Because mm -hmm. that's exactly what this movie feels like. If this whole thing just feels like the, 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 the magic you feel in, in good foreplay, that's what this movie feels like. No, nothing. I like that. Okay. Well, if, I think it's fine. I think it's just because, like, I'm just like not super into sex, you know, that I'm just like. Okay, Andy McDowell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it is. It is. It is uh, probably like a, a remove of vulnerability or whatever, you know. But like, very specifically, what I enjoy about this movie is is its removal from like sex in that aspect, you know, where to me it doesn't. I don't know that I would equate it to a sense of foreplay rather than just the intimacy of connection, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think you're, we're talking about the same thing, but we view we're it differently. It differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because another thing is that like very specifically, like fucking Graham says during their first scene where they're like in the restaurant, he says, you should only take advice from someone you've been intimate. And Anne says, Oh, I'm intimate with my therapist. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I mean like sex. So you've had like, sex, oh, with, you your sex therapist? with your therapist. Yeah. yeah. And that is, but I think that's very telling of like the way that like between like, maybe especially for like this time period that like how men and women view intimacy. When I talk about intimacy, I talk about it literally far removed from sex. Yes. Sex can be, equate to intimacy but sex but is not exclusively it's intimacy. not the be all end all <clears throat> yeah sex yeah. is not exclusively what intimacy is and when i talk about intimacy i'm not so like that was why i thought it was very interesting to ask you guys that question because i wanted to see what movies you would talk about and whether or not they would be like a foreplay or like something that's like oh they're leading up to having sex because 
that's not how I feel God, about it. That makes me so proud of my answers then. Oh my God. <laughs> because one of them, because Mask of Zorro is definitely foreplay, lead up to sex. Yes. Devil's backbone. Yeah. They they never they never fuck. That's simply just a beautiful fucking connection between two yeah, people. Yeah, but that, that is are a love. very psychosexual relationship though, because she wants to fuck him like really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I just say like I even I'm uncomfortable with how she is in that movie. Yeah, she yeah. <laughs> she's she's a, she's a strange woman. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we're now we should a probably solid wrap this up. seven yeah. to eight minutes longer than Sex Lies Videotape, which wow. is a clean which hour forty. I think that speaks to the film. Uh, I recommend this month. I it was me that really championed uh, when Harry met Sally. Um, but if I'll be honest. I think if I had to choose the best film of this month, it's Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah, and Alexis, I have to applaud you. Wicked, Wait, okay, yeah, let's do this. I what have are, to applaud you. What are our favorites of the month? What was Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Sex, Lies, and Videotape? I literally watched this like three days ago, and then I watched it again last yeah. night, and I originally rated this a four and a half and it is now a five star movie that's where i i can't decide if it's four and a half or five it's a five for me because it has the rewatchability because it, the more right. that i watch it the more i enjoy it okay you know? yeah i i read your review of when harry met sally and like what is there to say it's it's the perfect film and i completely agree with you yeah i'm gonna but, say that my pick for the month is still when harry met sally i mean i also Nora is yeah. the queen i also yeah. think that's a five star movie it is a five star movie yeah. but that's the thing is like i i think sex lives videotape is also damn it again because talking about it with you guys and then rewatching it the other day i hate to use the m word but it's a fucking masterpiece i mean it really yeah. is it's so good people were so blown away by this movie so but yeah, here's incredible. the thing is that i think it's for me i relate much more to sex lies and videotape than i relate to when harry met sally because mm. when harry met sally is it's like a genuine like love friendship connection yeah. and like i but just it's can't very, I, it's traditional it, it's, it's uh, yeah whereas like with graham like i very much relate to his character of like i don't want to be vulnerable like i want to push everyone away and like you can't fucking knock down my walls how dare you you know like the way that he talks about things i deeply understand where he's coming from yeah. you know and so i yeah. That's why I like it. That's that's why this is my pick. I think I'm stimulated more as a viewer, as a as an active participant more by watching Sex Lives and Videotape versus When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally is a great movie just to put on and have fun. This is a movie to just feel things this, and experience yeah. things. This when movie, Harry Met Sally is a perfect script. Yeah. This movie feels intimate to me. Yeah. Like my connection with it and how I experience it as I watch it feels very intimate and Which so that's is, why i'm like really glad the last two times i've watched it i watch it by myself yeah <laughs> no, for sure yeah. especially because then i can just like kind of backtrack and like replay some james spader scenes and just be like wow what a, what an attractive man oh, i watched him with sloan yeah. it was nice great that's great yeah. Aww. did she like it i think she did she didn't see the whole thing because oh, she okay. had a call but yeah, yeah what she saw of it she like stayed here longer than she meant to, to that's a good sign oh, yeah. okay great. Yeah. that says everything um all righty well this was a this was a this is more one. than you bargained for, huh, listeners? Uh, but uh, you know, I'm pleased that we uh, explored this movie fully. Thanks yeah. for Alexis. Thank you for suggesting yeah. this. I, yeah. I loved watching this. Um, and next month, we're going to be pivoting into talking about 
Academy Award nominated films. Academy Darlings. Academy Darlings. The it's Oscars the are coming yes. up. And we're going to do a uh, retrospective on the Oscars history. And that will start with a film major's double feature. That will be. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> 1961's West Side Story. Directed by Jerome Robbins and Robert Weiss. Which I've never seen. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime, Tubi, Pluto TV, or YouTube for free. Um, it stars Rita Moreno, Natalie Wood, Richard Boehmer, and George Chakaris. Uh, and we're also going to be watching 2021's West Side Story. Directed by Steven Spielberg. And starring Rachel Zegler, Rita Moreno, Ariana DeBose... Uh, and fucking Ansel Elgort, whatever. Um, I have also not seen the remake. Yeah. I'm excited can, to finally watch it. You can find that film. I haven't seen the remake. You can find the remake on HBO Max or Disney+. Plus. Alrighty, everybody. Uh, and if you want to find us, the film majors, you can uh. find us at Film Majors Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Go ahead yeah. and give the podcast a rating. Rate us five stars. Boost us in the algorithm. Give algorithm. us a like. Tell yeah. your friends about us, and, please. And, uh, you know, if you want to fucking yeah. hate on us, you want to come for us, you shoot us an email at filmmajorspod at gmail.com. Give me that fan fiction. Make it Please. hurt. Make it hurt. Make it psychosexual. You know how we love that here. <laughs>